This is the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast, session number 113. Scott Sandland on Hypnotic Evolution. Welcome to the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast with Jason Lynette, your professional resource for hypnosis training and outstanding business success. Here's your host, Jason Lynette. So allow me to paint the picture for you. Right now, it's Monday, and it is right after the Hypno Expo 2017, the IACT IMDHA Hypnosis Convention in Daytona Beach, Florida. A great three days getting to connect with Robert and Linda Otto and spending time with a lot of the great hypnosis trainers that were here at this event, which leads directly into this late-night conversation that honestly began by the swimming pool and then began to transition into a hotel room and as was promised to become only about a 20-minute conversation an hour and 20 minutes later here we go uh Previous guest on the program, Scott Sandland, who, uh, if you're counting, was on the program before, both on sessions number 35 and 37, back in the days where we used to do two-parters, and now we give you it all at once. In this conversation, Scott and I get into some themes of hypnotic evolution. If you've followed Scott's story as the founder of the HypnoThoughts website, and along with Richard Clark launching the HypnoThoughts Live convention... In many ways, it's that concept, as he would put it out there, as evolution, not revolution. What is that next phase of what we do? And the conversation began originally in terms of how we get into this profession and then what we eventually become as we discover our own voice, our own style, our own approach, though you're going to hear us get into themes of working with addictions, working in difficult scenarios, rethinking the models of rapport, what is the value of technique versus process versus theme, and then, of course, an outstanding update on the HypnoThoughts Live convention. To learn more about that event, head over to htlive.com. It's where all the details are. There's more than 170 presenters, uh, hundreds of hours of training, and just an outstanding event. Stick around afterwards, of course, for Hypnotic Products. That's the two-day post-conference offering that I've got, which is all about content creation, how to build a massive, profitable, passive income stream. So check those both out at htlive.net, and then stick around afterwards for Hypnotic Products, as you might have guessed, Hypnotic Products. And with that, let's jump right in, listen to this entire thing several times, so many amazing moments. This is session number 113, Scott Sandland on Hypnotic Evolution. So there's a theme that you and I have talked about a couple of times here, which is that of expectation and its power inside of the hypnotic process. Just Mm -hmm. briefly, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I think it's actually incredibly important. I, uh, I have a thing that I teach to all my students that I call the expectation to ritual ratio. And it's an inversely proportional ratio where the more expectation the client has, the less ritual the hypnotist actually has to do uh, and vice versa. So when the client has a low level of expectation, the hypnotist has to do a lot more. So I believe setting expectations and managing expectations is one of the most important things a hypnotist should learn how to do. I'd share there's a there's a side of that, which is where I got my real start in hypnosis uh, by way of network marketing. I would go out into the community. I'd go to a BNI, I'd go to a chamber of commerce. I'd talk about hypnosis. And that was working really well. That's how I packed the office the first month, though the experience was at the same time, I was learning the mechanisms of what now drives everything that I do. 
how to make the internet work, how to make the videos in such a way that they get a response. And the reason that I left a lot of that networking community is perhaps in some way related to what you just brought up there. If they were coming in by way of referral, Mm -hmm. I had to sell hypnosis. Yes. If I had someone coming in because of the streams that I had built, it was a seven or eight minute phone call and they were coming into the office. Exactly. It's just if you set up expectation right, it means you don't have to work as hard. And, you know, with HPTI or I mean other things that I've got going on, I see a lot of new hypnotists right now. And uh, like these last five, six years, I've seen a lot of hypnotists that are still at fundamental kind of early stages. And I watch how much effort they put in. And it, it's really, it, maybe it's because I've got a kid, but it's a lot like Kung Fu Panda. Um, like you watch like all the other characters in Kung Fu, like the tiger or whatever, the, the grasshopper or the snake. Like they're, they're training so hard to be the best snake or the best tiger. And you know, Master Ugwe or whoever, like the ones who are really good, they don't have to try hard. Uh, and they've just got it. And and you watch new hypnotists versus experienced hypnotists, and the experienced hypnotists don't have to work as hard to get better results, and it's because they know how to do this thing. Uh, and they know how to generate that belief. And some of it's just because they've earned a reputation, mm-hmm. um, but some of it's because they've learned how to set things up so that everything else is easy later. Well, I think anybody who's ever just simply the experience of a referral and a qualified referral that is you i may mean, have a guy right now who the, the language is as people come into the office and he's the one who prompted them to say this wow you got victor to quit smoking he's crazy mm-hmm. <laughs> this is going to be great and victor is the guy giving them the language to say no seriously three pack a day smoker all this stuff is now gone and to hear that they're coming in it kind of relates to I still to this day do stage hypnosis. Right. And there are schools now. I just did a school for the 10th year in a row. I don't have to work there. No. I I go in. It's a different set of kids every year. It's an event where only seniors are allowed to go. But because the event is always in late April, early May, they know Jason Lynette's coming. They've been telling the story. And so the dangerous way to ask the question is there's a balance to this, of course. Sure. The hypnotist with mediocre techniques with outstanding power of expectation or the hypnotist with no expectation but outstanding techniques, which will get the better response? Hmm. I mean, that's really all things being equal. They should be equal. All things being equal. Uh, my answer is it would go to uh, a, a third factor. The, mm-hmm. the, the tiebreaker is relationship. Yes. And if that person can generate a, a healthy uh, call it a uh, therapeutic relationship with the client. That's the one that wins. Because mm-hmm. um, that is sort of the third factor in the whole thing. Right. Um, Although that also plays into expectation. It does. Because I mean, I can, I can jokingly refer to as people walk into my office, there's the wall candy. Mm-hmm. They walk down the long hallway. They see their certificates awards on the wall. And, and that's and all, all there. That. They come into the office. They see awards. They see things that are there. Though at the same time, it's still from my side of things, it's the power of online video is right. what drives a lot of what I do. And they've been built. I call it the Wilson, Willie Nelson effect. They've been building that relationship with me. So then when my mother's there at Mother's Day watching Willie Nelson at concert, mm-hmm. she already knew him. Right. They were picking up a conversation that she had been having, but he entered live for the first time. Yeah. 
So it's where that rapport can be built in different ways, and that is part of that expectation model. It absolutely is. Uh, and I, I think there actually are hypnotists who actually aren't very good at fundamentals, like of actual technique stuff. Mm-hmm. I think there are hypnotists, actually, that are not very good at the fundamentals, like the really technique hands-on, but they've generated a brand for themselves and they know how to foster that and they absolutely get away with it for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a, an example of that uh, can sometimes be, you know, franchises or things like that, where the actual person doing the work or somebody who has a bunch of hypnotists working for them, uh, where the hypnotists don't have to be any good if the brand is strong. And I think that's actually... Uh, happened quite a bit in, uh, in our industry over the last few years. Although there's another side of that, which is that when we're in that filter of going, it has to be this way. When we're so laser focused on technique, right. that's where it's too easy to fall prey to the game of it's either right or it's wrong, as opposed to, well, that happened. Let's see what happens. It's the Tebbets line, deal with what emerges, right. of whatever happens is what should happen. The client's cell phone was supposed to go off in this session today is my mindset. The car alarm should keep going today, and that's exactly what it should be. Well, a good hypnotist, yeah, I mean, a good hypnotist obviously can utilize that kind of stuff and, and, and be able to roll with that. And, and obviously, like with you and I, because we got started in this so early, like the first couple hundred people I hypnotized were in dorm rooms. Mm-hmm. So that's a completely uncontrollable environment. Um, and so... I was really comfortable just rolling with that and and being able to. Now I'm such a spoiled brat about like where I hypnotize people. You know, like I have like my climate controlled, silent, all that office, and I never, I never even uh, considered that an option or even a luxury early on. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I'm kind of getting away from the, the point of the question. No, there's though. a theme inside of it of just. Let, let's bring it back and let's maybe pull some action steps out yeah, of it. Yeah. To take what you know now back to when you got started. Mm-hmm. What would you have done differently in the beginning phases? Well, it depends on what phase of beginning phases you're talking about. Right. I mean, if, we are, if we're saying like at the onset, right? Like so in, in the first, you know, in the first six months, nine months of what I was doing, uh, one of the things, I, I've been really fortunate with mentors and I've been really fortunate with mentors who've pulled me into really uh, good clinical professional angles. Um, I think I left stage stuff a little early mm-hmm. um, because I got pulled into clinical so much that a lot of the a lot of the demonstrational stuff and a lot of the, the big convincer stuff, and I still do some of that and I've, I've done a bunch of uh, high school AP psych classes and mm-hmm. you know, a similar thing where I like a reoccurring, you know, every year I go into the same AP psych class and they know I'm coming and they're excited about it. Um, and so I'll do, you know, phenomena st- and uh, demonstrational stuff. But I think I got away from that. And I, I think that there really is uh, a great business value to that. And even though it translated for me into uh, like surgical stuff and clinical stuff, um, I think I would have, I would recommend to myself, uh, don't lose that. Mm-hmm. Well, it's where, again, I, I'd point to a similar thing that I started with very absolute minded trainings, okay. I'd say. Um, and the mindset of this is the one way to do it. If you do it this way, you're going to get results. If you don't do it this way, you're not going to get permanent results. And getting into just the relationship, getting into uh, my my real position nowadays is that the client comes in and they're going to feed you everything that you need. Right. If, yeah. Absolutely. It's, it's the game of no, but I want to play this game. And instead they're bringing their model. 
So for me, it's just this mindset of, and it really perhaps goes back to the stage hypnosis experience because that's where I started and that's where I stayed for the first couple of years. Mm-hmm. I was the I was the smart ass in Shawn Michael Andrews certification class going, I'm not going to do this therapy crap. I wanted the certificate so I could charge more for my shows. Right. And now it's almost all that I do. So it was that mindset that you're in the show and you have to deal with it. You, it's whatever is going to happen is going to happen. And, and there's the training aspect of sometimes this is the one way. And just to to have had that moment where to lose the faith a little earlier. So none of my training was that way. I, it, it's interesting because I, yeah. I had the exact opposite of that. All of my training early on was very, well, I don't know, see what you do. <laughs> and, and it was not outcome based and it was it was completely unstructured. Uh, so I, uh, yeah, I, I had, I had the exact antithetical, uh, mm-hmm. to that. Nice. Nice. So then inside of that, we were having a dialogue before we turned on the uh, microphones mm-hmm. here about how there's the style change, how yeah. what works for one person may not work for someone else. Yeah. This is something I've been actually watching also a lot. I mean, you know, Going to all the conferences, I've been to over 50 hypnosis conferences now, and now obviously having HypnoThoughts Live, I we have 170 presenters this year, which is huge. Uh, and so I, I have to watch a lot of uh, hypnosis. And, and it's important to us to have new hypnotists and, and to get variety in different topics and all that. And it's so interesting to watch, uh, even in demonstration, but definitely also with the school watching different uh, uh, professionals. Um, yeah, there, there are definitely hypnotists that do things that I would never be able to pull off. Not because they're better than me uh, or I'm better than them, but just stylistically they can't do it. And the best way I can explain it is uh, with like stand-up comedy. Mm-hmm. You know, there there were things that Robin Williams could do that no other comedian would be able to pull off. There are, uh, there are jokes that Louis C.K. can say <laughs> that other people can't say. Chris Rock said things on TV that would get a lot of people fired. Um, and there's an ability where you and, earn And, and they it. did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And, uh, and there's this, you earn the right to say things and you generate an audience that expects that from you. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, uh, I went and saw, you know, a, a comedian that, that you would know. I don't know if a lot of the listeners were, listeners were, but I saw Bill Burr yeah. and, and he was talking about some of the stuff and, you know, he's got this, uh, angry component to what he's doing and he's ranting and venting and it's, it's clever and it's funny. But my, my then girlfriend, she's now my wife, but she was my girlfriend at the time it was one of our first dates and he's saying this aggressive stuff and and she hadn't opted in right she didn't right. buy in <laughs> to that persona and so you know to her he hadn't earned that yet even though professionally he had mm-hmm. so I, I there's there's two sides of that right like so he had earned the right to use those jokes with his audience but she wasn't in his audience right and so she hadn't they hadn't created that relationship and so I think there are these personas that happen where, uh, you know, you, you take somebody who's really good at what they do in their world, in their audience. I don't know, let's take Melissa Tears. She's great at what she does. Uh, if my client saw Melissa Tears, I don't know how well it would work. I mean, I'm sure she can do good things and she's versatile and she's Absolutely, smart, but it would yes. be different. Uh, when I refer people out, I'm very aware of this. Like when I refer people to Michael Elner, I will say he is very different mm-hmm. than I am and his style is different. So don't expect me. For, yeah, I'd say that I'm similar in mind that there's the occasional moment where someone calls and they want a referral and it's where they might be the they probably in my world I'm very impatient on the technical side uh which 
is an inventive how I outsource so much of what I do. If I'm going to get frustrated trying to figure it out, so it's the vampire rule for me with Skype sessions. If you do not introduce the idea of working remotely, I don't bring it up. Okay. Because I think to the number of times that I've had to with family members, no, the red button. No, the red button. <laughs> right, right. So it's where I won't bring that up unless that's the fit. And very often they are calling in our modern era and saying, no, I'm in this state. I want to work with you. Though it's where most of the referrals that I would make, I'd say on a similar note, are based on style, mm-hmm. based on approach, as opposed to they. it's rare to have the client call up and request a specific technique. Right. That will happen sometimes, though in most cases, it's through the dialogue. You know, there have been moments where I can point to a story of someone who was in New York City. And I specifically pointed out, um, oddly enough, all people who have been on this program. Uh, I pointed out Michael Elner. I pointed out Melissa Tears, Mark Carlin. You know, call any of these three. They're fantastic. Sure. Well, will I get the same result? Well, they're all going to be very different techniques and approaches. And those three are very different. And you're going to end up at the same finish line. Right. Right. And and there is something to be said for matchups, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so... And and some of that soft skill and some of that's just relationship, but all three of them, obviously, because they're pros and they've got, you know, just the reps, they know how to use their style, but mm-hmm. they wouldn't try to use the other person's, right? Melissa wouldn't try to be Michael, Michael wouldn't try to be Mark, uh, et cetera. Um, and if they did, they would get significantly worse results, right? And and so I, I, I have this interesting thing with DTI, right? Deep trans identification, where you can, you can grab from somebody but you have to internalize it. Like at, at HPTI, we have an internship class that we do throughout the year. So every Thursday night, we get together and, uh, you know, there's a case study. And so someone talks about their client, what they're seeing, what they're doing, and, and all that. And uh, when they're going through the parts class, everyone thinks parts and regression is what needs to be done for this client. And then they do the Melissa tears class and everyone thinks we need to swear at this person. (laughs) And then they go to the, you know, they go to the non guard class and it's all, you know, dialectical behavioral therapy or, or whatever it is. Um, acceptance and commitment therapy. And, and it, it takes them months. I mean, it's a year long program. It takes them to like month six or seven, uh, ish before they've internalized enough variety that they're developing their own voice. Mm-hmm. And and then different students are giving different advice based on their own thoughts, not based on the class that's happening right now in parallel. That That's a huge thing. And I think it's how it's so easy to, again, what is hypnosis? We're modeling excellence. What's going on in the process of the client and how often the same themes would pop into our sessions. Mm-hmm. You know, this work today, wow, I'm using this with every client this week now. Right. You know, what's the flavor of the week this time? So instead to get to that place of it's taking that entire experience, what is it that expedites that mindset, do you think, in terms of being able to get in? And it's a similar theme the the last two times you were on here, Mm -hmm. the the concept of finding that voice. Yeah. Was it something that just arrived or something that was pointed in that place? I think it needs to be developed. I think there's, yeah. a, there is just, it's a synthesis and repetitions and exposure. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like everything else. It's like tying your shoes and riding a bike and everything else reps matter mm-hmm. and exposure to different schools of thought, exposure to different styles ex- and, and practicing each one and trying them on. Uh, and so I guess that could be a deep trans identification process. Um, though not exclusively, but and then developing stylistically w- 
what you can do that goes back to that whole expectation to ritual. It goes back mm-hmm. to setting up uh, a persona. Yeah. You know, and, and my persona with my clients is very different than my personality with my family. Mm-hmm. Right. And it, and it is my professional persona that generate that I've generated over time. Then it's kind of created a life for itself. Um, you know, just through referrals in my community and all that, uh, that I put on when I enter the office because that is what my clients expect. And, and I think that's, you know, not shocking. And I think that's probably normal for a lot of professional hypnotists to have, you know, that sort of persona that they put on that's this, you know, wizard hypnotist <laughs> magician that's going to save the world and help well, these people. Well, again, I keep referencing the, the quote. It was a French magician in the 1800s, Jean-Eugène Robert Houdin because that's a name. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> the experience of the quote was the magician is really the actor playing the role of the magician. Right. So it's stepping into that, which from any hypnosis training, well, most of them, I'd say, go into the thought of, well, who's the first person you hypnotize? Yourself. And if we wanted to say that we're always in some sort of state of trance, there is that, for me, it's more of a heightened state of who I am. Yeah. You know, it's the aspects of we don't have to be perfect as the person to help the client. Yet I am stepping into that version of me that really doesn't have the flaws that I am accepting and flaws I've worked on. It's stepping into that place where the moment the thing is said, well, how can we trust that reality? What can we now do about this? My my whole approach these days is the same map into the problem is the same map out and the same reasons why you can't do this for yourself are the same reasons you absolutely can, where there's no wrong answer at any point. So I just had this flashback that I, I think really fits something we were actually talking about you know, two minutes ago, but if I, I can't help but share it. Um, I was in a class that Jerry Kine uh, was teaching, and obviously he, he just passed away. He was, he was wonderful. Um, and he, you know, he was teaching his regression to cause stuff, and he was teaching you know the hits. Mm-hmm. And I was sitting next to Michael Elner, and I was I was maybe, maybe seven or eight years into my career, so I I, I was somewhere, um, but obviously Jerry is you know exalted for a reason, and so I was taking notes and I was writing things down, and Michael grabs the pen out of my hand, crosses off a line, and says, "This is all bullshit." And then he writes, this is Jerry's style. I have my style. You need yours. And you've already found it. Don't try to be Jerry. Mm-hmm. And which, to be fair, that same story could be changed out for any trainer, for any interaction. It's not just that one school of thought. No, no, of yeah. course not. Of course not. And, you know, I, I did the same thing with Paul Durbin trying to be Paul Durbin. And no one should try to be Paul Durbin. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you ever uh, encountered him. I never had a live interaction, no. A wonderful, wonderful, gentle man. Uh, but no one can be. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was more like Columbo in a lot of ways. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean. Which I want to stay on this topic, but on the business side, Mm -hmm. there's an interaction that I had, again, with the same person recently that had said something to me three years ago, which was the, from a place of real concern, Jason, you're teaching everything that you're doing. Um, We're here recording. It's the Sunday night after the IMDHA IACT uh, Hypno Expo Convention. And in one of the workshops, I walked through an exact Facebook marketing campaign that I'm using to get a lot of weight loss clients. And that thing is running right now. Yeah. 
and it's where there was a guy who lives 20 miles down the road from me and he of course could go home and do the exact same thing yes. tonight yes his flights already probably landed back in virginia and i never mean this statement from an arrogant position I teach exactly what I've done because you can't do it the way that I've done it. Right. And you shouldn't. Exactly. Yeah. If, if we copy paste too literally, it doesn't translate. It, it doesn't instead, cross map. It's the instructor's mindset to share, in my opinion, the insane level of detail and thinking and logic behind what we do. So then the student is able to make that decision for themselves. So I interviewed Steve G. Jones a few years ago uh, with uh, when Nongard and I were doing our, our Sunday nights. And one of my first questions to Steve was, Teach me how to put you out of business. Yeah. You've made all this money. Just tell me exactly what do I need to do to be better than you at what you do so that you can't compete with me and I crush your business. And he said, and he loved the question. Right? I mean, he comes from a place of abundance and success and all that stuff. So he just said, yes, and dove in and outlined what he does and how he runs his business. And I think a lot of people are surprised with that level of authenticity and, and generosity of sharing like you did uh, in your class. But the truth is, you know, as well as I do, you can give them exact written, yes. explained video step by step. And the only way for them to do it well is for them to synthesize that information and make the appropriate changes for them. Mm -hmm. And that's the only way this really works Yeah, in all of it. Although inside of it, I mean, it's not the statement that someone can't do it. Of course not. Though sometimes it is that aspect of, again, through the modeling, what is it we can do? So online video is a favorite topic of mm -hmm. mine. It works really well for me. And inside of one of the communities I run, here's a moment where people are putting up their videos for feedback. And the teaching moment was that the actor Jack Lemmon would always use the phrase magic time before he would start a take. The director would say, magic t the director would say action jack lemon this drove walter Matthau crazy apparently which is probably why he did it more sure <laughs> action magic time and he'd launch into it and uh who was it hank azaria mm -hmm. uh, the voice of apu right did a TV, the voice of a lot of things. a lot of things yeah did the did the movie tv movie of the book tuesdays with maury mm -hmm. which is where jack lemon is playing a character who is dying mm -hmm. and he goes i could not keep a straight face because you know action magic time and then there's just the most dramatic moment possible right. which from that story i really unpacked something that i was doing because online video is the thing that people think oh it's so polished it's so put together the truth is you're seeing the last three minutes of a 20 minute take exactly and sometimes it is the moment of yelling you know some yes, sort of I, expletive i was just about to say <laughs> every one of my best takes is uh, preceded by swearing. Yes. Right? And like maybe even jumping up and down and going, all right. Yeah. And get it out there. Yeah. <laughs> swearing a bunch and then going, all right. <sighs> and then you just say it and that's your high energy good take that connects. Which let's call it a hypnotic anger and anchor and make it sound more professional. It does sound way better. I want to rewind back to something that you brought up that I know, I know the theme of it, but I don't think it's ever been discussed on this program. Soft skills. Soft skills. Yeah. So um, soft skills are things that aren't related directly to hypnosis, right? So, you know, being able to do rapid inductions, it would be considered a hard skill. Uh, but soft skills are nuanced things that are taken from other areas of, uh, of life, really. So it's just having life skills, having street smarts, having experienced enough things that you've developed abilities to interact with people, connect with people, generate rapport, uh, that 
that although they aren't hypnosis, they they apply in your ability to do your job well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so an example would be, you know, somebody who has a, a past career of being in sales. Okay, well, there's probably some uh, skills they've developed about just how to get appointments or how to shake hands or how to meet people or how to make eye contact, all those little things that uh, mean they don't have to learn them in hypnosis and, and they just make generating rapport in this case mm-hmm. uh, easier. Yeah. So what soft skills, I mean, is it a matter of seeking them out, would you say, or using everything at your disposal to go into that session ready for the process? Recognizing which ones you have, right? Mm-hmm. You know, recognizing what resources you really do have. I mean, for me, I know the, the skills that I rely on the most uh, in, in my practice are a few things. Number one, I, I have really good state control. I'm really good at being uh, having good boundaries and state control, no matter what the client. I really do. I have clients who are who are murderers, and I have clients who uh, you know have been the victims of horrible, violent things. It's just I work in drug rehab centers, and so that's a thing. Or I I walk into a room and somebody has burns over eighty percent of their body. I mean, it's you know it's it's dramatic things, and so my ability to have boundaries and state control is important. My other big skill is pacing, and I'm really good at these two things. And so I know I'm going to lean heavily on both of those uh, before I'm going to lead or before I'm going to do anything else. And that's my style. Uh, I know there's other people who are really good at being paint by number. And I don't mean that in a pejorative at all. No, no. There are people who are very process and procedural. And so they know they're going to go in and they can say eight minutes of this, three minutes of that, seven minutes. By the time we get to the 23rd minute, Mm -hmm. we'll be here. (laughs) And, and I'm not that way. Uh, I know I can keep time in my head and I know when the, the hour's up without looking at my watch, but it has nothing to do with, all right, we're at minute 13. I need to be moving on to this. Um, and so, I mean, that that's kind of just looping back around on this thing we've been talking about a lot is stylistically what someone's soft skills are. Mm-hmm. Uh, helps them create the environment that they want to create in their office. And I think there's a lot of people who try to be their instructor uh, with a different set of soft skills and a different set of life experience, and it just doesn't work. And so often that lack of confidence, I'd say, is there's a balance to this because in one side of things, we need that model to get started. Mm -hmm. We need something to follow. You've at least... uh, I, I think indirectly, you and I have both referenced Waiting for Guffman this weekend. Yes. Uh, in multiple cases. Uh, and there's a scene where the musical director, played by Bob Balaban, is saying to the uh, actors, this is a movie that proves you need to have good actors to play bad actors. Right. And the moment of the moment of musical direction in this movie, it's done, if you don't know the movie, it's uh, be- Waiting for Guffman. It's done by Christopher Guest, same guy behind Spinal Tap, best in show. He is directing the actors well you're going to eventually learn the song so well that you're going to forget it so let's just skip the process of learning it and just begin singing and three four and (laughs) and of course the they're there they don't know the song yet you've got to learn something and it's the you have to in some way appreciate the structure to then break the structure yeah you have to know the rules to then break the rules and know why you're breaking the rules exactly yeah and I remember trying to be other hypnotists, right? I, I remember trying to be Mark Cunningham or or Janet Macy or Michael Elner or, you know, a number of Jim Duncan, a number of other people. Uh, and every time I tried to be one of them or every time I went to a training and came back and tried to do an impression of them, and I would. I would, mm-hmm. I would have a client and I would be doing an impression of a different hypnotist to my client. And it 
it was so forced. Uh, and, and I'm aware of that now. I, I was minorly aware of it then. Uh, but in retrospect, it's so ugly. Um, and uh, it's so much less effective because you're, you're just not being authentic. You're doing an impression of another hypnotist. And that means not only am I trying to figure out this client, I'm pretending, okay, what would I do if I were Mark Cunningham in the room with this client who is biting their nails? Instead of just, you know, thinking through biting their nails, which mm-hmm. is obviously uh, significantly easier. But you do need that step, right? And it, it is an awkward step. But, you know... Sucking at something is the first step to being yeah. kind of good at something. <laughs> well, I mean, it's where inside of it, we find this place of that communication of what's what's the gospel of it, what's the principle. There's a moment where someone who's well-known in the regression circles was talking very loudly about, you have to find the ISC. You've got to be inside of it. If you don't find it, it's not going to work. And then at the same event, I heard in conversation, well, once I find something significant and meaningful that's going to be a good case for the story, I'll branch off of that. That'll still get the same result. Yeah. And you saw more so the gears turning where, again, the techniques are only as good as they're put into use. And the techniques for a lot of, again, it goes back to these people who have this reputation of using these techniques. They can even be going through the motion of these techniques because they know the client's expecting them even if they know the client doesn't need it. Though I have to flash back to the theater experience, and there's legends around certain performances that even though you don't know the story yet, even though you don't know that individual, um, this class that I just did with Shawn Michael Andrews out in Las Vegas, there was a student in the class that by luck was on the flight from Virginia, Dallas International Airport, to Las Vegas with me. And it was him, and this story is shared with every lack of ego I can possibly throw into this, though I still find it wonderfully amusing, because he's been watching my videos, he's been listening to this program, and we're sitting, I'm cheap, I'm flying in the back and coach, Uh, United gave me uh, Economy Plus at one point, but five foot four, I can't reach my bag, so I downgraded it back. So he's there going, no one's bothering you? It's like, "What, what are you talking about? Well... You're you're the guy in hypnosis, right? It's like I we're a small group of people. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but there's something to be said around the the example of the the musical that was a stage play and then a movie, of course, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, that the movie was Marilyn Monroe. Mm-hmm. The stage play was um Carol Channing. And the story goes that Carol Channing. Why am I keeping going to, back to the name Connie Chung? It was definitely not <laughs> it was definitely Connie. definitely not Connie Chung. No. And I'm sure blondes. she could do it wonderfully, but not a performer. So it was Carol Channing that the story goes, she could, she could play beautiful better than Marilyn Monroe was. That's a good line. Which the experience that the reputation is going to be important there, yet there's something back to Jerry Kind, the attitude he would teach his students of, yeah, we do this all the time. That's easy. Right that it's bringing that confidence into the process in the most uh, Lord of the Rings possible style quote from Dave Elman, in the world of hypnosis, confidence is the coin of the realm. Mm-hmm. And I love it just for the quirkiness of that phrase, but it's how you find that moment where to watch the performer on stage, you know that the phrase would be the audience can smell fear. Right. But right. you can also tell this person is clearly good at what they do and they're it, comfortable in it. 
and and comfortable with it right and and just being able to do that um and just being able to own it so mm-hmm. i had a, an intern shadowing me uh the other day uh so intern sitting in my office uh watching me with a client and uh at the end of one of the sessions you know the client leaves and the intern looks at me and goes whoa <laughs> and i go the silence huh she goes you were so quiet and i go yeah because in that session there were there were entire 30 second pauses where i was just letting things sit and just letting it be uncomfortable because i don't think i think it's really important for our jobs not to just go from comfort to comfort to comfort there has to be catharsis which means there has to be you know a sense of resolution which means if you back up there needs to be something that needs to be resolved which means you know you you take them on a journey um and to paint the picture are we talking inside of the actual hypnotic process okay so pre uh, during an intake uh and during the hypnosis i they'll say something that's upsetting they'll say something that's provocative they'll say something that is an epiphany mm-hmm. and i'll just sit there and let that land in the room and just let it be there right. and that's a, a uh i got that from david kaloff uh who we were talking about at, at dinner uh he wrote a book the couple who became each other which i think is excellent yeah. uh, and then he's got these I recordings <laughs> that are really good too um, but this ability just to have these pregnant pauses and just let the person sit with the comfort and not rescue them from it, uh, it requires a lot of confidence in oneself to just sit there as the professional and not rescue them uh, and not not save the moment from being weird, but let the weirdness be there and let them work through that in that moment in this safe space of an office, whatever that means. Which goes against a lot of what we're often trained around. We have to build rapport. We have to get them to like us, which I would say that that comfort, that relationship is absolutely critical, though there's something about not building rapport with the undesired state. Yeah, or there's moments where the, the, you're very often the first person they're saying some of these things to. Mm-hmm. And even that alone is hypnotic in nature because now, oh, that's what I've been thinking. That's how I've been viewing this. And it creates this interesting dynamic, right? You know, where you, you do have this, you know, I don't know, just one upped position of authority on them. And so not reaching out to rescue them, but just letting those things sit. Uh, it keeps you in that authority position. And I think there's a lot of people who have, who haven't come to terms with their own, I'll call it greatness, mm-hmm. um, which sounds egotistical, but I don't mean it that way. Uh, you have to be comfortable with the fact that you can be great at this before you can be great at this. Um, and you have to be comfortable with that and own that in the room with confidence and humility and all those other things. But there has to be that confidence. Like you said, they can smell fear and, the reason a lot of hypnotists will rescue that moment and not let that pause live is because they're not okay with it and they don't want to be naked and pause. Mm. And so they prevent the client from being naked so they won't be naked too. Um, which, by the way, that sentence out of context, amazing. Um, <laughs> There's a lot of podcasts that pull like one quote, something really meaningful, and they the use one. that as the intro rather than how I do it. Um, this might be the no. We'll stick with the standard. <laughs> um, we might, yeah. This, this might be worth. Or there's the title of it. Go on. You're um, but no, there is that thing, right? Where uh, where these hypnotists or these people who are new at any therapeutic or counseling profession, they don't want that moment 
of just pure ex- mutual exposure so they fill the space by talking and they don't give the client that space. And it really does take something, just I mean, reps and just kind of knowing yourself and being okay with it to do it. But my intern was really uncomfortable. And she she was freaking out and like crawling in her skin in a couple of these moments because we were talking about stuff that was, you know, uh, provocative, let's say. Which, to be fair, there's also moments where just to bring some lingo into it, we're in that meta model, we're asking questions, and sometimes by asking the question at the right time, it's going to create that moment intentionally too. Where, Absolutely. Where you know, any sleight of mouth pattern is gonna get them to shift that belief structure and realize, oh wait, it's, it's where I have a recent example that, again, we could often get caught up in the story. Mm-hmm. She's in my office, she wants to quit smoking, and for the first 10 minutes it's, my ex-boyfriend, this horrible relationship, the guy turned out to be married with a family and basically lied the whole way through. And this somehow went on for nine months as part of the story. And this is every reason why I've been smoking this much. And it just took that one simple moment of a question to go, okay, but you were a pack and a half a day smoker before you met this guy, right? Yeah. Oh. And just to let that moment sit. Yeah. Just to let that moment just linger. Rather than, no, I have to sit like you're sitting. I have to use your words. But to call her on this, I mean, it's it's a rationalization, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's just her rationalizing a behavior. And you just say, no, you don't get to do that here. Not rudely, but that's what you did, right? I mean, you, you elegantly said, uh, that's bullshit. And she had to just sit there and go... It is an oh. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So the last nine minutes of me telling you this story has nothing to do with these cigarettes. Yeah. That's something that you talked about this weekend in terms of working with addictions. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it has to be. I mean, because so much of uh, working with people who are overcoming addiction is helping them get out of the idea that they're the victim of the story because you need to get the person into a state in in anything uh, where they can be the hero in their story. I don't understand why we wouldn't want to be the hero of our own story, uh, be the protagonist. Um, And uh, part of addiction is believing and, and becoming accustomed to being in this reactive mode where you're just, you know, you're the pretty girl in the horror movie just running away from whatever shows up uh, without any sense of purpose and not running towards anything. Uh, and so helping these people to respectfully call them out on that and point out the ability and resources and opportunities they have to be heroic um, in a realistic everyday way. Which to do it properly actually can often build better rapport because it's, than the rapport techniques because it's respectful right yes. you know i i this is this is going to sound totally screwed up but this is the way i talk to them i say look i am not going to treat you like you just got third place in the special olympics okay and i know people like <laughs> it works um i say i say look I, i've worked at the special olympics i'm allowed to say that um i said look i'm not going to treat you like you just got third place in the special olympics and i'm going to pat you on the head so you're doing great you're not doing great you know, you're stealing and selling meth. That's not great. You've committed violent crime. Your kids have been taken away from you. No, and you're telling me I'm doing the best I can. This is not the best you can, and I'm not mm. going to let you say that. And other people let you off the hook when you say, well, I'm doing the best I can. No, you're not. You're doing the best you've been doing, and that's nowhere near the best you possibly could, and that's a horrible thing to say about yourself, and I'm not going to let you cop out on both of us right now, and I'm not going to let you off easy. And when I say that, and I mean it, and I mean it sincerely, then we just let that sit. 
and they then have to decide, oh. Uh, this goes to a dialogue. Uh, you met a former student of mine over this weekend, too, that oh, yeah. was running into an issue, and we'll keep it general because we of don't course. have her permission to tell the story. Though her name rhymes with, no, never mind. <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's a client that basically, now the end of the story first, it turns out this client has been successful as a weight loss client. Right, right. But just you find that place where nothing is right. Mm-hmm. Nothing is going as it should, which I'd even bring in the simplistic nature of the more everyday occurrence for the hypnotist outside of the working with the meth addict is not something most of us do. I haven't done that. Sure. Uh, the ones that I've seen the most extreme has been the uh, the guy who claimed he was addicted to cocaine, asked his doctor to be admitted. And when he found out that he was only using once a month, the doctor laughed at him. Right. And then gave him my business card. Or here's the one that she's now been off heroin for several months. So your specialty is one that I've really not worked inside of. Though it goes to the example of, I hear this all the time. I gave the client the hypnosis audio program that was only 10 minutes long and they didn't listen to it all week. Right. They hand it back to you in the cellophane, still wrapped, and they say, this doesn't work. Right. Yeah. Or I taught you this technique and you didn't use it. Right. Yeah, where it's where inside of that process for me, I want to have that experience where they can't remember the craving. They can't remember what the feeling was and yet to be out there in the world. And I told the story here before of, well, the Diet Coke tasted like battery acid, but I still drank it. The hypnosis didn't work. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, it sounds like it actually did work. You're not working. Right. So it's where some of my opinions have changed. It's where I had a business product I took off the market and then put back up under a different name because there were things in there that I didn't agree with anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, Anyone who has listened to this program, uh, I would challenge you to find the one that uh, I put out there. And that was the one that shifted the remainder of them. Uh, It wasn't with you Uh, (laughs) because it's a moment of going, I released something that goes, that's not what this program is. So there is an evolution to it. So the experience that working with that client and finding that comfort to break out of the, they have to like me, they have to have this instant rapport with me, which comes from creating that change too, comes from creating that shift. Well, also think about the word evolution, right? Because evolution is about adaptation, right? And that's the thing. It's about adaptation to to challenge and obstacles, right? Uh, To the environment and the imperfections in the environment and being able to, you know, a lot of people think evolution means uh, becoming better and better and better and doesn't mean that uh, it often becomes that but it doesn't have to adaptation is really what evolution is all about and responding and uh, and being more suited and being more able to rapidly adapt to be more suited to the environment and so you look at what kind of clients you're seeing and what is uh, best suited for generating lasting change. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I really do believe that there are a lot of hypnotists out there that are only trying to create uh, temporary change. And they're, they're, they don't realize they're shooting for that, but everything they're doing is pointing towards temporary change and then get this person away from me and out of my life so I can call uh, them part of my success rate. And they have no sincere interest in making this person's life uh, better in the abstract large picture. They're really only looking at a checkbox and then get this person away from me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's that's a very different thing. And so they will adapt towards that. Um, well, let's take that out of the bigger picture theme and get more specific then. What is it that needs to be in that process to take it out of temporary and into lasting? 
Well, it depends on it depends on the issue. Um, and but, please just give us one simple answer. Just you know, it has to be this one technique. It has to be. Yeah, yeah. it definitely has to be <laughs> a technique that I'm selling. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, I think there's a lot of people who believe that state change creates permanent change, and I I, I think state change creates an opportunity for permanent change to uh, to be established. But there are, are uh, there are so many hypnotists that get caught up in you know a really cool language pattern or a really cool meta model thing or a really cool you know thing that they just learned at the conference and and the client opens their eyes and they're like oh i i feel so alive and optimistic oh well then you clearly don't have clinical depression anymore you've been suicidal for six months but uh, if you feel better right now i'm sure you'll feel better forever go back under the bridge that you live in <laughs> uh climb back into the cardboard box and keep that smile on your face right i mean so so there's an ecology check is, is my answer uh, the ecology check of looking at how sustainable is this in the reality of their life is the and how much are you taking that ecology check and making sure the things that are happening in their life are reinforced or reinforcing mm. uh, the work you're doing. And so it requires more thought and question asking than than just how do you feel right now? How did you feel before? High fives for everybody. Yeah. There's a story of, uh, I, I always tell this now, is the feedback you don't put on a website. Mm -hmm. And it was a client that I get this email, the business, the, the situation was the husband passed away. They had a shared business. Everything was in his name. Right. And the banks were pulling every dirty trick to mm -hmm. not let her in the accounts. Successful business goes out of business. Right. House goes into foreclosure because she can't access the business money has to move in with her sister in the story. You got to love her humor inside of all of this because she goes to make it the worst country music song ever. My dog also ran away. Oh. Yet to hear the feedback of, and somehow throughout this, I knew that going through this without cigarettes would make me stronger rather right. than this was every reason why, ah, screw it all, I'm going back to the old way. Of course. And yeah, exactly. That's that's not a story that you know you put on. I met Jason twice to stop smoking, and after my husband died. If that's like, what hypnosis does, I'm not going to this yeah, guy. <laughs> yeah, that's not the one that goes on the web page. But that's the truth: is we need to work in the reality of these people's uh, lives, not just in laboratory conditions, mm -hmm. right? Um, and you know, anybody can get someone to glue their eyes shut. And then just stay in a laboratory con condition mm -hmm. and make sure you get temporary results and all that stuff. But this stuff has to stick when you're not around. My strategy for that is that everything is an asset. Agreed. Everything that comes into the process is that leverage point. So the fact that you have this diagnosis, the fact that you have this situation, the fact that, um, again, a recent client story, the fact that you have now completely moved out of your parents' house at 19 years old because you failed out of college and you're going to now go off and do this job and this scenario sucks and all of your friends are liars and they've stolen your money is every reason why you can now fill in the blank. Right. And that's where that lasting change, in my opinion, comes from rather than you felt better today. Yes, we have to get the foot in the door. You right. Know, to get the hope in place, hope is realistic. Get hope that is in realistic, motion. exactly. Yeah, at the same time, it's where you've got to do that scan around. Although, is there a point to extremes on this? Because, again, not to play this 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 conversation here today as here's what everyone else is doing badly because no, there no. was a moment where I had someone who had done a hypnotic process for stopping smoking and um, 
fill in the blank of what religion I'm referring to, it began with, give me a list of everything bad you've done and every moment you have cravings. Mm -hmm. And it was this insane list. And of course, she found herself in a scenario where that wasn't on the list. Right. And because I haven't addressed that, the old behavior was back. Mm -hmm. So we can leverage, but we can also get in. It's where I'd often talk about where a technique can become a process versus a theme. What's that, that mean? That we can do, simple example, I could do a full, if we're going to talk age regression, yeah. I'm going to take a full age regression process, which to say that, that's really like 19 techniques that we're stringing together okay. and yeah. saying, that's age regression. But at the same time, I could just simply suggest the things you know now as if you've always known them and that makes you stronger. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, so where it's the thematic score mm -hmm. rather than the actual structural process. Yes. And it becomes this dance back and forth because if they're saying, recent example, I'm going to be hanging out with my friends this weekend. They're all smokers. I had a guy recently that uh, wonderful British man came in and gave me the stereotype of, well, I go to the pub every night. Mm -hmm. And as I have my pint, I want to be there and go out with my friends who are smoking and I don't want to have one too. And I want to be out there and have it not even be an issue. So we had to get laser focused on that, but I don't know about the, what was the example this woman had? I'm going to be around my stepfather and he always irritated me. Right. Right. And, and so if you create a system in a situation where you have to know every trigger that could mm. possibly be the problem and get in front of every single one of them, it becomes this insane uh, number where you get like this. It's one of those things where, you know, like if you double a number enough times, it becomes huge really fast. Which back to like that meta pattern approach, that's a good way to mathematically check your work, condition the thing in the future. But it's how we're stringing all this stuff together to get to that desired result. And, and doing it the way you were talking about, like, you know, looking at, looking at it thematically instead, instead of just getting, you know, super technique-y on, okay, these, this is like eight techniques, nine techniques mm -hmm. to get to age regression. Okay, this is a lot of stuff. Um, Instead, just to be able to say, look, there were things that you uh, have learned since you started smoking, and now you're not going to do that anymore, obviously. for the, you, know, you can do it so much uh, with so much less work. It goes back to that other thing, right? It goes back to Kung Fu Panda, where <laughs> he realizes that it's not about any of the techniques. It's about him. Mm -hmm. And being able to say, I am the dragon warrior is part of being able to be the dragon you warrior. You just spoiled that movie without saying spoiler alert. Oh my gosh, I really it's did. Kevin Spacey the whole time. It was. It was Kevin Spacey. <laughs> By the way, oh, I'm not even going to do that. Um, <laughs> that was so tempting to go off on this huge tangent. But no, the idea of everyone, by the way, every hypnotist needs to watch Kung Fu Panda. Seriously, um, yes. It's, it really... It is, it is really a story of finding your way and, and uh, identity statements, um, which I think is, is wonderful. Um, and, and, and technique and flow and, and confidence in yourself and, and all these things. And that is, is so much more elegant than here are the eight techniques that I'm going to do. And, and going back to the uh, internship class that we have with uh, case studies, in the beginning, uh, the, uh, the students, when they're, do they're doing their presentations, they really get into, well, first I did a 10 to 1 relaxation. I used a staircase deepener. I had them go into a meadow. In the meadow, there was a tree. It was, and they really <laughs> get into- But you didn't into, take them to safe place, so it's not gonna work. Of course, yeah, right, that, yeah. this is terrible. So, th and that's what the feedback is, right? So the feedback is things like that, and they're really really stuck in there. And the more experience they get and the more open to ideas they've become and the more conversations they've had about this kind of stuff, the, the more their uh, 
their presentation turns into, you know, I'm talking to this client. It was very apparent that something that was important to them was forgiveness of self and others. So I knew I was going to need to do something about forgiveness. Mm -hmm. And the difference between those two ideas uh, is a huge shift in how someone is able to approach the work. And to, instead of thinking of it as, uh, you know, distinct processes, to break the processes up into a whole bunch of Lego pieces, mm -hmm. and then they can build whatever they want. Which again is like that theme versus process. Yeah, exactly. That this is a flavor that I've got to bring into this. This is an ingredient that I've got to fold in at some point. I don't know when I'm going to put this in there and how... There's certain spices as we cook that if we put it in too early, it burns and it's not a match, but this is a finisher. And, and this, I think cooking, I, I talk about the difference between being a chef and a cook a lot um, because there are a lot of hypnotists who say, how dare you criticize another hypnotist's work or how, how can you even judge another hypnotist's work? This is an art. There are a ton of cooking shows where all they do <laughs> is judge each other's food, right? And, and there's... a of course you can judge art that's there's an entire career choice about judging art and art critics and i read movie reviews before i go see a movie mm. how dare you review a movie and tell me if it's good or not no this is it's allowed and hypnosis is no different you there is a a position of experience where you can say uh you know, and I'm not saying best or worst or my way. That's not what I'm saying because there's people who do something I would never do incredibly well and they're great at it, you know, the way, you know, uh, uh, Bobby Flay can appreciate great sushi. Um, Though at and, the same time, those types of shows, there'll be the judging moment. Well, I just don't like shrimp. Well, and sure. And they failed. <laughs> yeah, well, there's that. But but the good, you know, there's there's something to be said for watching different approaches and the understanding of the ingredients, right? So they'll, you know, they give them a basket of crazy ingredients and that's what a client does. They give you this basket of crazy ingredients. They're like, make a happy person out of this. And, uh, and you're like, oh my God, I can't believe you're giving me these things. Um, and you have to think on your feet and you have to put these things together and understand how they're going to interact and you've got to do it and you put it together and you give it to the judge and the judge says, you move on to the next round. And that's called the second session. And uh, a cook needs in, uh, a recipe. You know, a line cook gets a recipe and they follow it every day and mm -hmm. they make decent food. Um, to be a chef, you have to be able to do the other thing. And uh, I encourage every hypnotist to, to do their best to become a chef, not because all of them should be that and not because of all of them can be excellent chefs, but they can, in, in trying their best to understand more of the ingredients, even if they're only ever going to be a line cook, uh, it means they're going to be a better line cook and they'll be able to defend why they're doing the things they're doing instead yeah. of, you know, I do, I do regression because Roy Hunter told me so, or I do, you know, parts because Roy told me to, or whoever their instructor was. Um, it means that they can have better conversations. Uh, one of the things I say, and this is the thing. So this is the thing. So now, <laughs> now it is. Um, one of the things I say to uh, a lot of the drug addicts I work with, uh, when, I, when I run groups, uh, I say, look, I'm going to explain to you a very simple reason why you should stop doing drugs. And, uh, and I said, look, no one's explained it to you this way. I'm going to give it to you in one sentence. And they say, okay. I said, you will get to have sex with a higher quality person. <laughs> and, they, and, and they haven't heard it presented that way. I go, think about it. What if, you, what if you were only having sex with people you respected while you were having sex with them? And everyone was there like, oh, my God. And uh, what if... Uh, so this is, this is uh, I'm going to map that across. Um, so uh, what if... 
every client you saw, you were able to explain why you're doing what you're doing. What if, if me, I've been doing this for 19 years and I'm pretentious. Um, what if I came in and I have no idea who's listening. So you might have been doing this longer than me and be better than me at this, but whatever, I'm going to be a judging jerk. If I come in and I chastise you and criticize you and break down all the video footage of every session you ever do, and you would be able to look me, whatever, because I'm the bad guy in the story, uh, you'd be able to look me in the eye and say, I did that for a reason and I can tell you what it is. Because I'll tell you right now, I have absolutely succeeded with some clients and I've absolutely failed with some clients and I can own the fact that there are clients that I did not do the best job that I could have done on. And I audit myself as much as I can, you know, within reason. And and I look at a couple principles and I look at a couple patterns uh, in, in doing so. Uh, and, you know, in, in the line of work that I have, you know, uh, people die, people kill others, you know, it, it's, it's dramatic and whatever. Uh, but that's not all my clients. Some of my clients are, are rich people who want to lose six pounds. Uh, so I see all, mm-hmm. all sides of, the, uh, of this, in both ends of the spectrum. But to work with those people who, you know, who can die and, and do when a client dies and, and I get a phone call that a cl- my client's dead and I have found a dead body, uh, you know, that's super dramatic. Uh, you know, of my client who was late for a session because he was dead. Um, to be able to look yourself in the mirror and say, you did it right. Mm-hmm. That's, that matters to keep going. And that's the most dramatic and most hypnotists will never deal with finding a dead body of their client. Um, but, and to clarify, you were inside of a treatment center. Yeah, well, yeah. I was, yeah. yeah so he was, he was in a treatment it wasn't, facility. I rented a space at this location. I was, and, no, you know. Yeah, it was actually a public storage. I just rolled up the big door. Um, no, it was in an inpatient facility, and the guy had, uh, had, had purchased drugs uh, you know, at a Narcotics Anonymous meeting in the bathroom mm-hmm. and had been doing drugs in his bedroom by himself at 3 a.m. and, uh, and overdosed. Um, and... You know, I I had met him a number of times. He was a good guy. He really was. He was, and and it devastated everybody. No one, the staff, the clients, no one had any inkling that that this happened. And you know, I met his family. Right. You know, I was at the service. You know, there it's 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 a very real thing. And I I'm able to. And and that's not by a long shot the only client I've, I've uh, you know, unfortunately had died because of the, because of that work. Um, and you know, the, the chronic pain and the cancer and the, uh, and all those things when, when, when the worst happens or even just a bad outcome happens, you know, when they keep smoking, you know, right? Like mm-hmm. when they don't lose weight, um, when the bad outcome happens to be able to say, I'm actually going to audit what I've done, not this false arrogance, but to really say, yeah. I really did everything I could. I, I would do it that way again. Well, it's where I think it's less of a virus now. I think when I uh, first got into all this, I was hearing a lot of dialogue around secondary gain and the client is the one at fault because they want to hold on to the problem and not necessarily so. It's the inflexibility. And this yes. goes back to the stage hypnosis side. I'm trying to track who said this to me. Uh, it might have been Chris Frolic out of Canada, who's no longer, I think, doing that many shows. But the simple statement was, and this stuck, was the worst thing you can do after your program is listen to the radio on your drive home. And to oh, hear wow, that, I like that. And, I, and it just stuck with me that uh, I'm driving to the office in the morning and it's Mark Marin podcast. Right. I'm driving home. It's quiet. 
Yes. And that's that time where I'm just thinking through the day, yes. the clients that I've seen, the interactions that have been there, and just that that simple statement of the worst thing you can do is, to, to paraphrase it, is do something that distracts you out. Right. Yes, there's benefit of the break state. Yes, there's the benefit of, as I say to my clients consistently, this is one of those things that maybe creeps its way in for my benefit as much as theirs, to let home be home and let work be work. Right. To draw those barriers, though, again, that simple statement, don't listen to the radio on the drive home. I think that's that's wonderful. And going back to your idea of secondary gain, I think there, I think secondary gain is used as such a cop-out by so many hypnotists who just want to let themselves off the hook uh, in the same way that you go, I'm doing the best I can. Don't say that. You know, like, you of course... Uh, well, it's not my fault they don't want to get better. They showed up and paid you, Yes, right? They, they wanted something this to be different. This goes back to that theme around not agreeing with things that I've done before, which again, there's an evolution to it. Sean right. Michael Andrews, I wish I could call back the first client and say I got better. I had that experience. Uh, yeah. She uh, came back and she goes, wow, that was very different than last time. Well, you know, based on your scenario this time, I thought other techniques would be more appropriate. Right. Translation, I had no clue when you first came into my office. Mm -hmm. uh, she was someone I actually just knew socially. So it's where I developed and I still have out there. And it's good because it's great for most people to get started with. Yes. The whole phone process that I do with my clients which there is only one super sneaky linguistic strategy inside of it. Other than that, I am doing the first couple of minutes of my intake on the phone. You know, mm -hmm. what would you like to change? What was that going to be like? What's been helpful so far? What hasn't been helpful so far? Any experience with hypnosis? Here's what I do. Come on in. And now my real position is it is my ethical responsibility to use every tactic that I know is appropriate to help you to get that change. Yeah, I agree. And so sometimes that is, in my opinion, as I phrase it, breaking rapport to regain rapport with the way it should have been built in the first place. Breaking rapport with the problem state to then build rapport with the solution state instead. Yeah. So it goes away from the they have to have that bond they have to have that connection that is going to be important in the process yet similar to okay at some point i'm going to need to throw in some forgiveness to self at some point i'm going to need to throw in some sort of parts work at some point i've got to bring in something spiritual because that's part of this client right right um uh, yeah it's such an interesting thing um <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm just thinking about the, the thing you said at the beginning of that where you're uh, going back to your first client and being able to do them over again. Yeah. God, it's, but I would be so good at AYSO <laughs> soccer this year. Like I would crush <laughs> those nine-year-olds, right? Like I'd be so much, I wouldn't, I would ruin those kids. I can kick the ball so much harder than all of them. Um, but, and I'm saying that because it's, it's about stages, right? You can only be where oh, you so are. Parent as well, Louis C.K. Yeah, we hang out with the kids and we go out, but we're all dumbed down to the little one's level. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, but there's these stages and I'm not the best hypnotist I'll ever be, I hope. Right. You know, I know I'm better than I used to be. Uh, I don't want to be done learning. Uh, you know, it's interesting. And, and I'll give you credit for this. Um, 
I talk to a lot of hypnosis instructors who say, you know, one of the great things about coming to a conference is continuing your own education and making yourself better. And then none of them go to a class. And all of them say it to each other. All of them say it in their advertising. <laughs> all of them say, you know, just developing my own skills and becoming better, never stop learning. And you go, oh, what classes did you go to? I didn't go to any. Mm-hmm. I thought you said you were, I, uh, you know, well, you, you learn a lot by talking to each other in the hall. You're, no, stop it, Right. <laughs> You went to a lot of classes. I, I mean, uh, there were a handful of uh, times I, I watched you walking in and out of rooms. You went to, you know, whoever's uh, different talks and you were talking well, here this about weekend. It. My, my family's here and the vacation starts tomorrow right. for me with them. They started the vacation to to figure out what's fun about Daytona Beach and then I'll join them, Good. Uh, which is part of the timing of this trip. And uh, I, my wife goes, you weren't at your table anytime I walked by. It's like, well, yeah, everyone else was in workshop. So I was, too. Right. Yeah. And and that's yeah, hypnotauts last year. I did pre conference. I was teaching pre and no, I attended both pre and post, I think. And this yeah. year same thing. And there's there's a sincerity to that. There's an authenticity to that. Um, which means you're not the best hypnotist you're gonna be either, right? You know, like whatever classes you uh attended in the last three days. Mm-hmm something or hopefully a couple of things from those classes you're going to synthesize uh, into whatever version of you that is and be that much better for it. Um, which means you are better equipped today than you were on Tuesday. Yes. Um, and so you have to always be uh, aware of that when you're looking back on the work you were doing. Uh, and hopefully that goes back to you know, the idea of evolution and adaptation to trying to get the result and, and maybe being more clear on what that result is. Um, but yeah, I, I look at hypnosis completely differently because I'm not trying to be the best tiger or the snake or the best whatever. I really genuinely want to be uh, much more of Dragon Warrior, Kung Fu Panda, that makes it so effortless. Um, I'm almost always uh, able to do five to seven clients a day and not be tired at the end of it. And there are a lot of people who don't understand how that's possible, yeah. especially with the the types of clients I'm seeing. Right? You know, and and I don't want to make it sound like I'm you know saving the world or anything like that. A lot of my clients. Although are, I don't think that's a stamina thing, and so many people put that to be a stamina. It's thing. not. I say it's a mindset issue. Right. I, yeah. I don't think I'm I, I don't think I work hard with my clients. Mm-hmm. I, I think I do good work. Working smart. We should turn yes. that into something. Working smart. Yeah. In hypnosis though. Um never take off. No. Yeah. That's <laughs> stupid. Um, uh, my strategy for that is my client comes in and no matter the backstory, no matter the problem and Today in the workshop that you did with Richard Nongard, you dropped the same metaphor that I've dropped as well. That it's probably my idea. My wife might have been. My wife was watching uh, Hunger Games on TV, and it's the moment where it's a movie about teenagers killing each other. Mm-hmm. This is a children's book. They turn into a movie, and she's getting visibly tense in the moment where right. uh, Katniss is being chased. And of course, I have to go, she's in the sequels. Right. They have killed off Superman so many times. So many times. Superman, Batman versus Superman was so bad. I don't remember if they killed off Superman. Right. I think they did. They did. He's already in the new movie. No, they killed him. Yeah. Yeah. He's in a grave. Yeah. Yeah. But he'll be back. Oh, yeah. So, and again, every iteration of uh, Spider-Man, and it's only Aunt May who seems to be getting better and better. Right. But as you watch this, again, we know the end of the story. So as the client walks in associate with the result bring them along for the ride yeah. and with that it's not this 
they yes they are coming in with real problems mm -hmm. yes they're coming in with things that you might be the first one that they're hearing your first one that they're telling right yet again it's where we're going to bring them and with that every session is good to great so a, a philosophy that i have is everybody is screwed up nobody's broken people mm -hmm. don't break Right, so it doesn't matter what they're saying to you. It doesn't matter what their goal is. It doesn't matter what their problem is. You know, I'm a compulsive gambler. I'm lying. Whatever their thing is, okay. People have solved that today, right? Mm -hmm. Someone got better at that already this morning, and they were just on a different time zone, so they're ahead of you. Yeah. Um, so of course you're you are made out of people, and people get better. <laughs> so you're a people that's going to be able to do this. Um, and not getting stuck in their narrative, exactly. What's well, how writers would often begin with a premise of what if we remove something, what happens? Mm -hmm. And this is where I can get swept into a television program, which is rare for me, I don't watch too much, if I know the writer's process. And I'm not a horror person in any way, but to hear Robert Kirkman talk about Walking Dead, mm -hmm. that just began with, it was a comic book first, graphic novel, sorry. It was a comic book, comic book. And then from there, it became the TV show. Right. And the premise was, it's a reality where zombie literature didn't exist. Right. So here are these things that we don't know what to call them, but humans are more terrifying. Right. And with that statement, it's like, so it's that removal of something, which we have this existence. You know, we as hypnotists, this profession exists because our society has handed us this role. Mm -hmm. We're still around because this stuff works. And this change is possible because other people have done it. And what are the skills? What are the nuances? What are the resources? And let's use the T word. What are the techniques that are going to get us there? And, and techniques are, are absolutely part of this. And, uh, you know, I, I you, you and I have kind of talked about techniques and themes instead and, and all that. But you absolutely need to have the technique. I mean, the, the fundamentals are there. If we go back to the, the chef versus cook metaphor, knife skills are a thing. Right. Knowing flavors are a thing. Uh, but those are presumed at a higher level. Mm -hmm. So you have to have those to get to the next stage. But we're not talking about those yet because you have to have them. Um, but, but that goes back to, I, I think that's part of why I'm not tired at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Um, I can see five to seven clients a day, you know, some days even more, usually not. Um, and, and really go home and, and look my, my wife and kid in the face and, and, and be active in play and, and, you know, do all the things that you do in a family. And I remember hearing, uh, Richard Clark doing this and he was working in a, in a county clinic in inner city LA every one of his clients was either a violent offender or a victim of a violent crime that week. He was working with the hardest people in inner city LA mm. and he had a waiting room full of people every day when he got there and he had a waiting room full of crying people every day when he left. He was doing 20 minute sessions all day, every day with the hardest cases anyone has ever had. He referred me a couple clients. They were always my hardest client of the month and he would do it all day. And, you know, he, he would work with a dozen crack babies a week, right? And, and that was what his work was. And then he would go home and he would look his wife and his son in the face. And I would say, how the hell do you do that? And he was able to explain it to me. And he was able to explain how he was able to be deeply in rapport and sincere with those clients and then be able to turn that off and not be exhausted by it and not have it burn him out. And I didn't, I just thought he was magic. Um, but I understand it now mm -hmm. because I've had to adapt to that uh, to a degree, uh, which goes back to the evolution thing. Um, but when you work smart, it really is so much more uh, 
energy efficient, so much more elegant. It's like the old guy in a kung fu movie, right? It's that old it's Mr. Miyagi beats the crap out of you in slow it's motion. The guy in the back, you got to watch. Yeah, yeah. It's it's Kane and kung fu, right? You know, he can beat you up in slow motion while everyone else is taking turns jumping and kicking. He just very slowly moves around in his pajamas and beats you up, and uh, and that is. Uh, what I'm seeing from really great hypnotists, and I'm really appreciating it, um, how how well they do that. I, I was watching Shawn Michael Andrews do it uh, a day or two ago, and just how simply he did one little thing on just finger magnets. I mean, how dumb is that, right? I mean, finger magnets. I watched him change the cadence uh, of anyone else I've ever seen. He, he has a different cadence in his finger magnets, um, and just the way he presents it. And I saw him do it, and I was like, you tricky son of a bitch. That was so good. Um, and, and those little things absolutely add up. In, in the same way that when you watch a cooking show, uh, someone is able to appreciate something that I, I can't appreciate. Someone's able to taste something or appreciate mm-hmm. uh, a, an element of the uh, the cooking that I would, even if I tasted the food right next to them, they pointed out to me, I wouldn't be able to discern. So my dental story that you may be one of the few people who can appreciate is that it's a couple of years ago, and I had recessed gums. Mm-hmm. So they go, my dentist says, I'm going to make you a referral to get a gum graft. A graft, yeah. And please understand, I've been in dentistry for about 15 years. And from what I usually see, you are the second person I've made that referral follow up on this. Right. So I did my research. I found a periodontist. Yep. And the story goes at the time, my office used to be in a building where to walk down the hallway, uh, psychologist, dentist, uh, accountant, a whole bunch of different professionals on the ground floor. And you see the sign that says dental arts. And I got it this day. It's like three weeks after the surgery and the doctor, not the one that I saw, but just the one who happened to be in my building. Hey, you got that gum graft. We had talked about it. Hey, you got that gum graft. Uh, hey, lift up your lip. Show me. Which is not weird to have a dent. If the accountant right. said that, That's that would have been creepy. Yeah. But it was the dentist. And I mean, dude was almost in tears because he's going, oh, my God, that's beautiful. Yeah. There is no seam. And it's been three weeks. Please introduce me. So it's where I, I keep coming back to the phrase, there's artistry in everything. Yeah. And to highlight that artist. There's there's a, a movie called uh, The Comedians of Comedy. Yep. Uh, Zach Galifianakis, Patton Oswalt. Watched it so many times. There's a moment where. How much does your entire family weigh? <laughs> there's a, there's a moment when they're talking about how big uh, of comic book nerds they all are. And, uh, you know, it's like every Tuesday comic books come out. So they go to, a, they're on the road doing, mm-hmm. you know, traveling, doing comedy shows. And they go to a comic book shop. And one of them says, I just got the new Joss. And they're talking on the phone to each other. And one of them says, I just got the new Joss Whedon. I love his work. And they're talking about the guy who ended up being the director of the Avengers. Mm-hmm. Right. And they're talking about him way before he's, you know, making, I mean, he made like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, but they're talking about him doing comic books. And, you know, comedians are storytellers. Comic book uh, writers are storytellers. And this is, I mean, there's, you know, it's obviously not the exact same art, but it's a very similar process. Um, and it's it's artistry appreciating arts. It's skill uh, appreciating skill and just saying, this guy, this guy takes me through a narrative process efficiently, uh, emotionally, whatever, uh, in a way that is different and importantly better mm-hmm. than the other people who are doing the thing I like. 
get ready for the ultimate segue, by the way, uh, which would be that uh, one of my students who had gone through a class about a year ago was here at this event, first time ever attending a hypnosis convention. And her comment was, there are so many people that are here that I've heard about either from your class, from listening to them on the podcast, or going to HypnoThoughts on the website, or mm-hmm. looking at different forms, and seeing all these people who very clearly have different styles. Yet she goes, my biggest takeaway is that it's the end of the night, and you're all hanging out together. Yeah. You know, this whole group was going out to dinner, and... You know, it's just this mesh of everyone who comes together and different styles, yet the theme of respect of just we do it differently, yet we know why we do it and we respect the other models as well. And we're not trying to sell it, sell each other, right? Like Mm -hmm. it's that, you know, a priest and a rabbi are sitting on a bench, right? They're not trying to convert each other. They're just appreciating that we're both two holy men, right? Uh, And we could have done a whole bunch of jokes from there that I'm not going to do because I already said enough offensive things in this (laughs) podcast. (laughs) I'm not going to, I'm not going to do religion also. Um, but we don't. We don't try to convert each other, right? I don't try to make Roy Hunter do things the way I do, and he doesn't try to make me do it, or, or you know, whoever else. Uh, the Carsons or, you know, uh, Jess Marion or Sean Michael Andrews is not trying to get me to change my cadence and my finger magnets, mm-hmm. um, although he, it might have happened. It's good. <laughs> it's good. It's better. It's better than what other people are doing. I've looked at a lot of people doing finger magnets. I've never seen it done that well. And mm-hmm. that's a weird thing because it's such a throwaway, stupid thing. It's the gum graft moment. Wow, that is so beautiful. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, he, he does that better than anyone I've ever seen. Uh, and that's what we can do at these conferences and we can, we can appreciate that and we can appreciate, I don't want to do Sean's job, but I appreciate he does it the best and he does it his way. And, uh, and we get to just be friends and, and share that because not a lot of people can appreciate what I do. And my clients don't, they don't under, like when I do something really cool mm-hmm. that I'm proud of, they don't, they don't, <laughs> they don't, wow, that segue, you just did that nested loop. Really? great work on that and they don't do that and they don't do that for you either they you know they're just they're happy they lost 14 pounds and they go away or mm-hmm. whatever um but we get to have a deeper appreciation for each other the same way those chefs in those cooking shows the way anthony bourdain gets to sit down with these people and and eat weird food in some obscure you know back road in Vietnam and he eats some dim sum and is thrilled and tells everybody about it. We get to do that. And that's why we go to these things. So speaking of which, let's talk uh, now that we're an hour and 18 minutes into the 20 minute recording. Yes. uh, Hypno Thoughts Live 2017. Yes. Yes. It's going to be big. Uh, It's going to be exciting. Uh, 170 presenters. I can't, all at once. All at once. It's just one talk. I've <laughs> got 170 rooms, and uh, and you just uh, run fast. Um, no. <laughs> uh, no, it's... it's I, I don't even remember how many hours. I think it's like... Uh, I think it's something like 300 hours just of one-hour talks. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's nuts. Um, and we've got, we've got some presenters that don't present anywhere else. Uh, some of them because they won't go to the smaller conferences, some of them because no one's ever heard of them. They're just, you know, secret people that we've been able to find. And some of them are, are raw and are speaking for the first time and, and they might suck. Uh, you know, it'll be, it'll be exciting. Uh, but some of our most popular presenters have never attempted to present anywhere else. Uh, so that exposure to new talent is, uh, is really exciting to me. Um, we're doing more to um, generate social stuff. So we're doing a bowling tournament. 
uh, which we are very excited about, uh, because instead of just doing you know stage shows and comedians and music acts and all that stuff, we're doing a, a bowling tournament because it's so social and because no one cares if you win. Um, so it's just it's everyone just kind of standing around in a group in a activity that has a lot of downtime, uh, so that we can get to know each other better. And I'm actually intentionally not on team uh, because there are a thousand people that go to this conference and I don't know a lot of them. And so this gives me an opportunity to just, you know, avoid you and Ken Guzzo and David Snyder. And I don't, yeah, whatever. Um, Had enough of me this week, yeah. Oh, God. Um, (laughs) But, you know, to go over to uh, a a lane that has, you know, five or 20 people over there that I I only know one or two of them or I've shaken hands with them before, but I don't know them and get to know these people and have them get to know each other and create a sense of welcome. Uh, You know, the first hypnosis conferences I went to, I was underage. I I was 18 years old. And, you know, the next the next youngest person was 35 uh, or 40 and and I was very lonely Um, and I I cared a lot about hypnosis but there was there was no camaraderie for me and so a a very important thing for me in creating hypno thoughts live is to create a place where there is fun and community because I think that's an important part of learning Um, so that's that's what we're doing this year As always, thank you so much for interacting with this program. Be sure to head over to worksmarthypnosis.com forward slash iTunes and leave your review for this program over there. Interact with it, of course, on Facebook over on the Work Smart Hypnosis website. And I'll share the stage on this one because, uh, again, coming up in August, check out htlive.net. It's a great conference, the HypnoThoughts Live Convention. Proud to share I'll be doing the keynote talk on Friday evening. Opening act for the Hypno Bowl 2017. First ever of its kind. Stick around afterwards, too, for Hypnotic Products. That's my two-day post-convention offering all about creating a profitable passive income machine. Check all these events out over at htlive.net as well as hypnoticproducts.com. See you in Vegas. Thanks for listening to the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast at WorkSmartHypnosis.com. 